This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the senior editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. Redshirting, it sounds like a disease. And for some educators, it is. Now, redshirting is when parents or teachers hold a young child back for a year because they think the child is too young or is otherwise unprepared for entry into first grade. The critics of the practice of redshirting say that it delays a child's education, instills in a child a sense of inferiority, and takes a child away from the person's natural peer group. But now, a new study suggests that redshirting, holding back a child from entry into first grade, might be a good thing, at least for some students. The authors of the latest redshirting study are Philip Cook and Songman Kang. Mr. Kang is at the College of Economics and Finance at Hanyang University in Korea, while Philip Cook is a professor at the Sanford School of Public Policy at Duke University. I'm pleased to have Philip Cook with me today on the Education Exchange. Thank you, Philip, for joining me on the Education Exchange. Well, thank you for the chance. I appreciate it, Paul. So, Phil, first of all, let me just ask you a big, broad question. How much redshirting uh, do you think there is in the United States? How, how, what are the estimates of the extent to which this is a practice, this holding back of a child before they go into kindergarten or first grade? Yeah, for kindergarten, one, one estimate uh, nationwide was about 5%. But the important thing is to note that how textured this practice is. And so it's certainly concentrated among children who would be the youngest in their class if they were not held back. Uh, the so that makes it actually a month or two. That makes it sort of, is this redshirting or isn't it? Because if they're, if they're just barely five years of age and you put them in, then maybe you're starting them too young. And so, yeah, so it's, it's not so clear that this is uh, holding back a child for a full year. It may be just holding back a child who's not yet ready. I, I think that it's um, a tough and important choice that are faced by parents and teachers about which children are ready to start school and whether given all of the considerations that are relevant whether that's a good idea to to redshirt them uh, obviously it can be expensive to the family to hold the child back and have to provide a daycare uh, or some preschool arrangement uh, and it may also mean that the child will be bored in school or, or will miss their their friends and so I, I think that there are considerations on both sides. The so one thing that seems clear is that the children who are old for grade do better and that there's a real advantage academically. Well, of course, uh, we know that the uh, human brain develops uh, over time and that uh, it's, uh, people perform at a higher level uh, every year, at least for the few years of life. Uh, so, uh, uh, of course, that's sort of to be expected, wouldn't you say? It is to be expected, although um, I suppose there's some question raised by the fact that preschools have become increasingly academic in their orientation and so that they might be a good substitute. But yes, the, the fact is that the child's brain matures. Uh, there's been a controversy 
about whether this advantage for the ultra-grade students persists beyond the primary grades and whether you continue to see it, say, through middle school. Uh, and we've done that work using North Carolina data, and we find that indeed it does, that the advantage that is due to the chance of, of birth date uh, persists right through eighth grade. So, uh, you know, there's something terribly arbitrary about saying that you're uh, ready for kindergarten if you're born on uh, uh, August 31st, but you're not ready for kindergarten if you're born on September 1st. It is completely uh, arbitrary, and the um, fact is that it's also useful to scientists like myself uh, because it sets up a, a kind of natural experiment in studying the effect of age uh, so that we have pretty good evidence in that area. So is that what you're doing here? You're comparing those who just barely miss uh, qualifying uh, with those who uh, just barely uh, are able to go if the parents want to send their child to kindergarten? Yeah, that's right. There's, of course, a huge discontinuity in, in, in terms of the year that they begin school. Um, most are compliant and follow the state law, starting the child as early as possible, and so that we're able to demonstrate that the ones that are uh, born on, say, September 1st in North Carolina, that means they wait a year uh, and hence are old for grade. Uh, that they do better both in end-of-grade end test scores and in every other measure we have of academic performance. Well, who benefits the most? Uh, is it boys or girls? Well, I think that then the question is, uh, do and under what circumstances do the parents hold back the uh, child who otherwise would be young? Uh, we find in North Carolina again, which currently has a September 1st cut date, that there's no red shirting to speak of for children born in September. I mean, they're already going to be among the oldest in their class. There's a very high rate of red shirting for children born in August, and it's concentrated among boys much more than girls which makes sense because boys generally are less mature than girls at, at that age. Uh, and the other thing that it's concentrated is, is that there's a racial uh, dimension to it so that uh, Anglo-white boys uh, are the most likely to be redshirted. So that they are more, boys are more likely to be redshirted. Uh, white boys are, are especially uh, likely to be uh, Redshirted, uh, do they also benefit from this practice the most? Or do you, do you find that they, with their data? Uh, they do benefit, uh, w without a doubt, but as a group, they are performing better uh, if they're held back. And so, the, um, you know, the August uh, children, uh, the children born in, in August, if they are redshirted, are going to be among the oldest in their class instead of the youngest. And as a result, they predictably will do better in terms of end-of-grade test scores, in terms of routine promotion, in terms of designation as gifted and talented, and so on and so forth. So how about the uh, talented student? Uh, as best you can estimate that, uh, 
uh, at the time this decision is being made, are they more likely or less likely to be redshirted? Uh, generally, there's what uh, social scientists call negative selection into redshirting, so that the children who um, are most likely to be redshirted, other things equal, tend to be among the weaker uh, students when we first start seeing them in end-of-grade test scores and, and that kind of thing. So I think the the parents or the teachers or both uh, are able to identify the children who would struggle and in school and uh, and one response to that identification is to suggest that they hold back. So now North Carolina uh, made a change in the official age at which you could start school. Uh, and would they would they do? They changed it. When was that? Two thousand nine. They changed it. Well, from, that, of yeah. course, it, yeah, it was made a good deal earlier by state law, but the law specified that it would be the children um, starting who would normally start school in in two thousand nine. Uh, they. Uh, result was um, that. What was the to, shift? To the shift. The, the shift was from October to September. Was that it? Yeah, the the cut date changed uh, by six weeks. It, it moved from October seventeenth uh, back to September first, and so now uh, September first, children children born on September first have to wait a year. Um, before it was, uh, they could have started kindergarten, uh, but uh, it wasn't in the cut date wasn't until October 17th. So uh, we have a six-week change that includes all of the September babies and half the October babies. So that uh, that seems like a sort of a natural thing to do to uh, make the cut date closer to the beginning. So what effect did this have on the practice of redshirting? had a dramatic effect and one that has some interesting features to it. Uh, so what we see now is that September uh, children that used to have a high redshirt rate in North Carolina under the old cut date now have essentially a zero cut date, uh, redshirt rate. And that um, is to be expected because now those September children are, are among the oldest in the grade rather than the youngest uh, in the normal course of events. We were also interested in what happened to August uh, children, children born in August. And it was, of course, conceivable that uh, the parents of children born in August would be more likely to redshirt them under the new cut date, uh, just because they had become relatively younger, but uh, we did not see that. There was no change. So the end the result other. of that is that uh, redshirting uh, is less widely practiced as a result of the change in the date at which you reach a certain age. That, that's right. So what happened was um, the change in the date from mid-October back to September 1st eliminated redshirting during the, that September, uh, for the September babies and the early October babies. Uh, and there was no replacement of increased redshirting for August babies or, or earlier. 
So the overall effect was to reduce redshirting. That had the biggest effect on the, the groups that were most likely to be redshirted, and, and particularly uh, white boys. So this is a sort of a, a basically has an ironic consequence that the differences in the performance of girls and boys actually increases as a result of this, uh, this decision, which seems so sensible in many ways. So we look particularly at the children born in September before and after and the change in the cut date. And what we found was that on the end of grade test score in third grade, for example, which is a standardized test given to all the children in North Carolina, that uh, under the old cut date, when there was high red shirting for September babies uh, for boys, uh, that the boys and girls did equally well uh, on uh, reading. And after the change in the cut date for the September uh, babies, we found that the girls did much better. And so the boys had lost the advantage that came from having a high red shirting rate, and that um, was concealing the fact that, in fact, that generally speaking, they are not as prepared for school and not as good in academically as the girls with respect to reading. And for for math, what we found um, was that the September boys were doing much better in math than the girls were as they were born in September under the old cut date. Uh, under the new cut date, they did equally well. So we have basically for September babies, the change in the cut date created a level playing field for boys and girls because it eliminated redshirting for that group. And now we're, for the first time in North Carolina, we're seeing what happens when you have a level playing field. Uh, namely, that girls are equally as adept in math as boys, and that girls are much better in reading. And this is, again, talking about at the population level, at the group level, not about any one individual. Yeah, uh, yeah. We're not saying that every boy is behind every girl, but that on average this is uh, the difference that you, you perceive. But now, you're just looking at third grade results here, though. Maybe this is misleading. What if you look way down into the future, uh, going on to college, going into the labor market? Uh, that's what really people really care about, I guess, when they, when they redshirt their child. They're thinking about their long-term trajectory. Uh, do you have any information on this, or can you speculate at all about that? Uh, I can certainly speculate. Uh, we do not have direct evidence on this uh, cohort that was affected by the change in the cut date. But we have done research that simply looks at the uh, effect of being uh, old for grade or relatively old for grade. And the advantage associated with that persists at least through eighth grade. That's uh, the last time that North Carolina gives a standardized end-of-grade test to everybody. Uh, and so we can see the, the big advantage of being older in third grade persists year after year through eighth grade. And there's, there's no reason to think that would not also be true 
for this most recent change. All right. Well, this is a fascinating study that goes a little bit against the uh, advice that uh, many consultants out there are giving to parents. They're usually saying, you know, go along with the state law or, or uh, don't, whatever you do, don't hold your, your child back. And you're saying, well, as, if, you're, if you have a boy, you might, you might want to think about that, at least um, although every child is different and you wouldn't want to uh, apply your findings to any specific individual. I think that's right, and, and of course, there are always, as, as I said, a variety of considerations. Uh, one that I should throw in at this point is that uh, we have documented a finding that was already in the literature, and that is that the boys who are old for grade are more likely to drop out from high school, even though they do better. Uh, and. So you have this ironic result that they're doing better all the way through school, but when it comes, um, when they reach the minimum age of adulthood, they're uh, and and legal dropout, they're older than their classmates, and they might be tempted to drop out at that point. So it's it's not as clear um, a story, even academically, as you might think. I would say if your child is not at risk of being a dropout down the road, there may be an advantage to holding them back. Well, so uh, this is uh, this is a illuminating study, and I, I think our audience uh, will be very interested in learning about any uh, follow-up research that you do, Phil. Thank you, Phil, for joining me on the Education Exchange. I appreciate the chance. Thanks a lot, Paul. I've been speaking with Philip Cook, a professor at the Sanford School of Public Policy at Duke University. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Please join me every Monday at noon when our weekly podcast is released on the Education Next website.